This hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's uh, do this. Thanks so much for joining us. Very fun episode today. We have the nicest person in the world. No, not Lin-Manuel Miranda, though. Good guess. Would be great to have him on. It's It's just not who our guest is today. But our guest is Sarita Akia. She is a good friend of mine and girlfriend of the show, Justina's. We met her in our level two class at the Magnet. And then we found out all of this interesting stuff about her. And Sarita and I talk about these interesting things and her experiences at the Magnet and working in the restaurant industry and being on Chopped, which she was on recently back in November or December. And it's a very fun chat. You're going to love this because she is such a joy-filled person. So let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Sarita Akia. Just for context, you and I met in level two at the Magnet. Yep, summer of July of 2017. I can't believe it's been that long. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a while ago. And so we've known each other for a while and been friends for a while. And then after knowing you, I feel like a couple of years, then we find out about Smack. Your <laughs> restaurant. I'm, <laughs> I'm really bad at self-promotion. I really should tell people <laughs> about my restaurant like sooner into the friendship. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were thrilled when we found out about it because we love mac and cheese. And uh, also for people who aren't in New York, SMAC is, it stands for Sarita's Mac and Cheese, Um, a a great mac and cheese restaurant. And it's in New York City. And is it in the East Village sort of area? Yeah, you got it. Yep, exactly. It's right in the East Village. So uh, there are just so many interesting things. Like, you know, we had no idea... We didn't really know what you did, but then we find out that you did that, and we're like, oh, that's interesting. And then I find out that you have a degree in engineering, and then I find – at some point, I find out you're from Canada. So <laughs> there's, there's all this stuff that's like I don't see how one leads to the other. So <laughs> let's find out. You you started Smack in 2005, so you were already here. When did you move to New York? So Smack was kind of the – the birth of Smack came literally so short, so soon after I moved to New York. I moved to New York July 31st, 2005. Mm-hmm. My husband and I were living in New Hampshire at the time, actually, mm-hmm. and we moved to New York. Uh, I came up with the idea of Smack shortly thereafter, within about a month, and then nine months later, in June of 2006, Smack was born. So it's, it coincides very much with our landing in New York. Yeah. And how did you decide to go into that line of work since you do have a degree in engineering and had worked professionally as an engineer, right? Yeah. So um, the reason my husband and I ended up in New York City was just because we loved the city. And we we specifically wanted to move to Manhattan at some point in our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would visit here all the time. So we kind of just made that jump. We quit our engineering jobs. He's also an engineer. He's an electrical engineer, worked mm-hmm. in software. I'm a mechanical engineer. I worked in the biomed field. Uh, and, you know, we had we had nice jobs there, but the city was drawing us. So 
this is 2005. The job market's pretty good. So we quit our jobs in New Hampshire and roll on down to New York City, just <laughs> anticipating that we'll get engineering jobs. So one of the things with that move, we promised each other that what we'll do is either we'll get your jobs or that we love, or if we don't love them, if we run out of money, fine, we'll take the jobs, you know, kind of thing. It was more of, you know, we want to come to New York. We want to experience and enjoy New York as much as possible. And since we made this big move, we want to make sure we're making the right career choices mm -hmm. at this mm -hmm. point. And so we were both interviewing. We both, we were both interviewing. Uh, he was on like a couple of offers at that point. I was on like some second, third interviews and, you know, in parallel, we were also eating out like crazy because we just moved to New York. And it was, you know, I was like, thinking back to how many calories we consumed, but how much walking we were also doing, right? I was like, yes, I was just a tad younger back then. It was a little bit easier. Um, but we were really enamored by the niche restaurants. And, you know, we had luckily landed a sublet in the East Village. Um, mm -hmm. And to this day, you know, 15 years later, 15 plus years later, we're still in the East Village. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a neighborhood that, you know, feels like I belong here. You know, this is kind of my place. Oh, yeah. we, we, we just kind of got this lucky sublet here. You know, we didn't really know one neighborhood from the other because until you live in New York, it's very hard to, right? Oh, yeah. And that's the yeah. cool place to be, the East Village. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because now that I've been here for, this is our 16th year in the East Village, We've seen so much change, but when we moved here, people used to talk about how you know how much it changed from the '80s until like the early 2000s into mm -hmm. that you know into. The, so uh, now I'm like, oh, I'm kind of like a little bit of a long timer here now because I've seen so much change, <laughs> but still, super cool place to be. Uh, but you know, one of the things the East Village had was these niche restaurants, and I had never seen that in anywhere where you know when I was living in. Nova Scotia or in Manchester, New Hampshire, or now I'm in, you know, the East Village of New York. And there are these, like, this place just sells dumplings or this place just sells grilled <laughs> cheese. Like, it was very shocking to me. You know, it's shocking to someone who's coming from a much smaller place. Um, and so my husband and I just started eating at all these niche restaurants. And we were at the Peanut Butter Company in the West Village, which is no longer there, but their peanut butter is sold pretty much in every grocery store across North America, I feel like. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were eating our PB&J sandwiches, and I said to him, wouldn't it be great if there was a place that did PB&J grilled cheese, because we had just gone to a grilled cheese place, and like, and mac and cheese. I'm like, ah, mac and cheese. That's the next restaurant we're eating at, is the, you know, the solely mac and cheese restaurant. <laughs> and lo and behold, there wasn't one. We started searching around. We were on chow hound. Like, this is 2005, you know? Not everyone has smartphones. Right. Um, there's not a whole lot of, like, Yelp or apps, but Chow Hound was a big message board and mm -hmm. like the kind of the dominant food board back then. Mm -hmm. And everyone was kind of chattering about mac and cheese, but not a mac and cheese place because there wasn't one. Right. And they were talking about, oh, I love going to this place because of this mac and cheese, or I love going to this place. And I'm like, oh, this is a really good business idea. And we yeah. were kind of in that change phase, right? Like we had quit our jobs, which felt risky at the time because there were secure, secure jobs or what you'd like to think are secure jobs and moved to New York City. Uh, so we're like, this is just something. This is kind of like our aha moment. Maybe we should just run with it. And we both couldn't, we couldn't shelve it. You know, it was it on the, in the forefront of our minds every day. And 
that's it. Like we knew we wanted to own our own business eventually. We just thought it would be in the engineering world because that's what we were trained at and that's what we knew. Mm -hmm. But instead we kind of went with this and literally like nine months later we opened up Smack. So that's very fast. If you talk to anyone in the food industry, like we'd be talking to people and they're like, oh, that's really, I'm like fast. I feel like I should get this done in three to six months because I was, I was a project manager in my, in my engineering life. Right. So I'm like, okay, if I had this all lined up, yeah, that's just not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that's yeah, that's how Smack came to be. Wow. And it's it's led to some fun things. Obviously the restaurant is beloved, but also you're kind of fresh off of a stint on Chopped. Yeah, that you're was on that. So and it was you had uh and you were in two episodes. Correct, yeah. yeah. And uh in one of them, or maybe both of them. It was like comfort food. So you were using mac and cheese. You were bringing mac and cheese to the table a couple of times. Yeah. So that was that was like it was a comfort food feud, and I was competing in the mac and cheese episode, uh, and then I went on to the finals, which was just the overall theme was comfort food. So. Mm -hmm. I knew if I made it to the finals, I'd really have to push some boundaries because mac and cheese. So basically, my, my specialties in life are Indian food. I'm East Indian, and I grew up with my mom's homemade cooking, which is amazing. And then I have a mac and cheese restaurant. So those are kind of like my two niche mm -hmm. niche uh, food groups, right? Um, so what I went on the mac and cheese episode, I'm like, okay, I could do this. But then I know knew if I had to if I went onto the finals for comfort food, I would have to pull from other hats, pull some other tricks out right because it's, it's now expanding kind of what's expected of me mm -hmm. it was fun to watch i had actually never i had known of the show but i'd never watched it and uh, when i heard that you were on i said well i have to watch it uh, so it was it was interesting to see but also not quite the version that they normally do i imagine since this was recorded or filmed during covid uh you had some intense covid protocols to follow in order to be a part of it. And they were shooting it outside to make it uh, a little safer. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was fun to see you on there and to see you bring your light to the to Food Network and the people who watch it across the globe. Thank you. You know, it was one of those things where I tell people when they first, they asked, they had approached me to be on it. And my initial reaction was no. I'm not, I'm not doing this, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's people are like, what? Cause, cause they, they, they're like, what? You're outgoing. This is what you do. I'm like, you know, I just, I'm like, yeah, but it's the competition part. Like that's mm -hmm. just not my style. And mm -hmm. I had seen episodes before, like just kind of one-offs and it's super intense. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also just very much like, you know, you really have to sell yourself. And like I said at the beginning, I'm just not good at self-promotion, right? Like, it's not like I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is who I am. So so when they asked me to be on it, and I kind of pushed back, and then they talked to me, and they're like, no, we want you on it, especially we're doing a mac and cheese episode. I'm like, okay, okay, you know, how can I say no? This is ridiculous for me to say no. Um, but I was like, you know, I still have to be my, I'm going to be my authentic self on this, you know, as much as I can. And that was kind of the beautiful thing, is that it really was... Um, it's intense. There's so much reality based to it. But at the same time, you do get to be yourself. You know, you don't have to create this this personification of you. It's it's right. it, This is who I am and this is how I'm getting through this competition. Yeah. And I have a question about that because um, I may have seen clips of that show or maybe it was like Iron Chef or something. But they that music, they make it so intense. They make it feel like it's... <laughs> 
It's the most <laughs> it's stressful thing ever. And then, like, meanwhile, this person is icing a cake. And it's like, well, that's not a stressful activity. Um, right. <laughs> is it as intense filming it as it is, as it appears watching it? So I was super intense watching my own episodes and mm-hmm. I was laughing at that, right? And I was like, oh, wow, they've really created this, you know, of like, everyone's like, but you know what happens? I'm like, I know, but it's just the, the whole, the culmination of the end product. It just makes you so tense. Uh, so personally, I, I'm more, I feel like it's more intense leading up to your cooking sessions than mm-hmm. actually in the cooking sh- sessions. Yeah, it gets it gets a little crazy. You know, you cut yourself, you do this. But you're, but for me personally, I'm in the zone. I'm in my mm-hmm. zone. I know what I want to accomplish. So I kind of tune everything else out around me. I was doing that a lot for the mac and cheese episode. Then once I got to the finals, got a little looser. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but it, it's, it was more intense for that period of watching the show as opposed to my intensity on set was in between before actually the actual cooking because it's like you can kind of psych yourself out right or you're Uh, like thinking about a thousand things but once you're in it all you're focused on is what you want to accomplish so i feel like the stress kind of folds away because you're so focused uh but watching the show all you're focusing on is the intensity of the show so watching it yeah so i don't know if that answers your question i I think that it is more intense watching the full show than it is actually in participating in the show okay well it also like every once in a while (laughs) And this I found a little annoying. Um, the the judges would start shouting, <laughs> like, "Oh, are you making a twenty five thousand dollar pizza?" It's like, well, it's like one out of several things they're gonna cook to win twenty five. So it really just has to be like one sixth of twenty five thousand dollars. Right, right, right. Uh, right. <laughs> it has to be worth twenty five thousand yeah. dollars in and of itself. Um, <laughs> no, but I, they kept shouting that and it's like, guys, come on, <laughs> like, yeah. you don't I think have that to say anything. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, it's one of those things where you watch and you're laughing because also so much of what the judges are saying to you and the banter going on between contestants is, it's just, it just doesn't make the cut of the show, right? Cause there's just so much going <laughs> on. Right. They can only so sh- show so much. So I think that that's, that's the charm as a contestant. That gets lost because that's not what's going. What necessarily, everyone wants to see on TV, right? right. So, that it's the intensity. But it's there's so much uh, awesome like banter or fun stuff going on between the judges and like positive stuff too. But they're going to edit it to show what they're screaming at you to get things done. Also, you know, Chopped apparently is the longest running cooking show, so they've got their system down to a yeah. T as to why people are going to tune in, right? Yeah. So. Uh, and I think also when the judges were also g- giving you feedback, it's like people are like, oh, my gosh, that judge was so hard. And you're like, yeah, but you didn't hear the other positive things they said, too, because right, they, they need to that keep out. people on the edge of, edge of the seat, of your right. seat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it was definitely fun to watch you on there and watch you do your thing. And I was like, man, when uh, this this pandemic is over, I hope people are like not putting you out of business there going so much, but... <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> 
some places do get slammed, like when Oprah mentions it, and it's like the company yeah. can't withstand the attention. But yeah. you know, that I, happened I, to us in 2007. Actually, we were all we had a blip on Oprah, and we got it was insane at our restaurant oh, wow. for like a month. Talk yeah. about that! I did not, I did yeah. not see this in my research. This is this is yeah. Th- well, this is super. Like this is so long ago. This we opened in 2006, and in December 2007. Gail had, uh, Gail King had had done had come to Smack. She picked like three or four, no, actually probably about four or five different places in New York that were her favorite places, um, mm-hmm. like Central Park. Where it's like Smack and Central Park. We're like, what? We're one of we're like we're like in in a in a competition with Central Park. Uh, we're, <laughs> so we're like, well, this is unbelievable. Actually, when I got the phone call, it was September of two thousand and seven. I, I got the phone call and. It was someone saying they're from Oprah Winfrey, and it was a Chicago area code. This is landline days, right? Chicago area code. And I was in the middle of a lunch rush, and it was when I was working like crazy days. And I was like, okay, can I take your name and number? I'll call you back. And so when I called them back, I'm so glad I didn't say this, but I literally thought it was like one of my friends messing with me, right? So <laughs> because my, 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 I said before, oh, you know, my dream would be if, you know, Smack ever got on Oprah, right? I'd always say that. Uh-huh. And I was going to call them and like, give them shit right like what what, what, like what what, you think this is funny this is not a funny joke right Right. so i called very nicely i'm like oh this is actually the oprah show who's calling (laughs) and that gail's going to come film at our restaurant it was crazy so we got it was just a very short blip they showed myself and my husband uh behind the counter gail trying some food and then they aired it when my husband and i were on vacation in nova scotia in december and it, they weren't supposed to air it at that time, and they gave us like very little notice. And we, he had to fly back right away because it was insanity. We couldn't yeah. keep up with the business. People were getting upset. It was like, it was so stressful for a good straight month plus. Like wow. literally, uh, you know, they say that uh, you know, no press is bad press. I mean, this was amazing to be on it, but at the same time, it just you don't want to you don't want to piss your customers off. Like right. you don't want to, yeah. right? We we're running out of food. People were waiting hours. Like it was, yeah. It's insane. I have heard that a couple of different things happen when Oprah says, like, here's one of my favorite things, and it's some whatever kind of business it is, whether it's a restaurant or they make something or whatever. And because people have a heads up that they're going to get that attention from Oprah, they'll what people started to do after hearing about situations like yours, but also situations that were even worse where the companies had to go out of business because they just couldn't withstand. So what they did was they hired a bunch of extra people to do the extra work that they were expecting. But then things didn't blow up like it did for other people. Right. Right. And then that puts them in the hole. And uh, maybe even some people went out of business for that. And so it was a sort of dicey thing where it's like, uh, I mean, like you said, no press or don't is good we, press. Right? However, yeah. <laughs> like you could put yourself in a bad position if you get this uh, attention. Um, it's you know, and that that's one of the things. I mean, I'm not a business person, but when people talk about big companies versus like a mom and pop, and they'll say like, oh, these these big companies. They're doing all this stuff. It's like they they have the capacity to, and the mom and pop places don't have the capacity to. Yeah. And we want these mom and pop places to have that success, have this big success, but they don't have the capacity that the big places do to put just like – 
have the hands and the feet to do the work. And right. so it, it, yeah. it, I don't even know what the balance should be sometimes. I just, I want people to live comfortably, you know, yeah. <laughs> at right. least, yeah. at least, you know, I don't want them yeah. to feel like they have to struggle. Um, but, you know, sometimes I guess that's just like what's in the cards. Like they're going to, they're going to just always be grinding just to live their life. Uh, because yeah. they don't have the the position to hire a bunch of people to do all this work, whether they yeah, get yeah. Oprah's attention or not. Exactly. And I think it's just, you know, it's it lends itself to one of those things where uh, you're not in the position or you just don't have that infrastructure. You know, for right. us back in 20, 2007, our, our restaurant was 600 square feet, like our original space, right? Mm-hmm. Even now our restaurant's like just under a thousand. Mm-hmm. So there's only so much you can accomplish. I was actually right. shocked when we first built out our kitchen and we were, you know, this was, that was a first, we never knew that. We had never done that before. And I think the engineering did come in in handy, but just talking to yeah. people like, wow, what you can accomplish in like 150 square feet is ridiculous. Like it really is just, and we actually made the mistake of when we opened a second location uh, in Murray, in the Murray Hill neighborhood, we made that way bigger. And it was actually eating up our speed because Mm. of the walking time. It wasn't like it was this huge kitchen, but it was so much different than our East village kitchen that like the walking time of going from the oven to plating it, to getting it to the customer. Like, Oh, this, we never thought that, this would actually affect it because it wasn't again like you wouldn't look at it from the outside and go that's a giant kitchen but comparatively it was you know four times the size of our east village kitchen wow yeah i mean it does take an engineer brain to recognize that sort of (laughs) (laughs) that sort of thing yeah but wow that's interesting that's very interesting well speaking of engineer brain and comedy uh i have noticed that there are a lot of engineers who get into and thrive with improv comedy. And I'm interested how you ended up getting into comedy. Uh, and and I'm, I've never figured out why so many engineers <laughs> gravitate towards it, but <laughs> maybe we can discover that. But yeah. why did you decide to get into it? So my personal journey into improv, um, it started so late in my life. You know, I, I Started at, I did a free class at Magnet early 2017 and then got hooked right away. Uh, but my dabble into it was literally, uh, I was 17 and I was in drama in high school. And my English teacher had actually invited this improv troupe into our very small classroom, you know, just to put on a show for like 20, 25 minutes. And they had to ask for a volunteer at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I put my hand up, they picked me. And then they kept me on for almost the whole thing because I was having so much fun with it. And afterwards, they were they came over to me like, you know, we don't usually do that, but it was just so much fun. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I was just, I was so energized. I felt like electric that day. You know, I just felt so good. And my English teacher came up to me afterwards and she's like, oh my gosh, that was the most awesome thing I've ever seen. Like it was just this energy. And I kind of, and then I shelved it. You know, I was like, oh, that was cool. That was so awesome. But I never forgot what that felt like. You know, I never did. And it was one of those things where I had just done, you know, many more years of like drama and plays and more traditional theater that when I moved to New York, my husband actually bought me some theater uh, classes. And I just kind of gravitated towards that because that's what I had done in the past. You know, I'd only done this very small 20, 15 to 20 minute blip of improv, but it was still in there. Uh, And then I met a bunch of theater people from this class and 
a few of them were actually doing improv at the time. Some at the tank, some the magnet. One of my good friends was she just you know constantly on social media talking about the magnet, the magnet, the magnet, the magnet. And I was like, whatever happened to that idea in my head that I do improv again? Now this is like I'm talking like twenty, almost twenty five years later in my life, right? That I'm thinking about it again. I'm like mm-hmm. something's up, something's up. I need to just do this. So that a friend of mine and I went to the free class. Uh, I walked away. I'm like, okay, when are we signing up? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, when are we like, this is the, I almost had that same feeling as when I was 18. You know, now I'm like, I'm 42. And I still remember that, you know, like, this is a long time coming. And so she couldn't get her schedule together. I'm like, listen, I just have to do it now. And she's like, yeah, yeah, don't wait for me. Just do it. And then she decides that she was going to take a different road anyhow. So Mm-hmm. Uh, I started the classes at the Magnet and kind of never, I've never looked back. You know, it's yeah. the community. I mean, you know, right? We could talk about the Magnet community for days, straight yeah. hours at least. Like, just what a great place to be. Uh, it was almost nice that my friend had vetted, like, you know, my, this friend of mine from theater had vetted all these other improv schools and she just was so high on the Magnet. And I was like, okay, this is, this is the place for me to be. And then just, uh, the classes have been amazing and just getting involved mm-hmm. in the community as a whole mm-hmm. that's been so um, it's been such a good part of my life like my own thing and you it's interesting so you ask about you know a lot of engineers getting into into comedy I'm not so sure why but I can see it mm-hmm. just because engineering is so structured there's so much of engineering is structured right mm-hmm. it's very much um Yes, you get to be creative. Yes, you get to be imaginative, but within certain boundaries a lot right. of the time. Unless you're like unless you're like a design engineer that's really you're working on something very, you know, up and coming or something just you've you've been given this leeway by your team to mm-hmm. do like fun and fancy things, you know. But otherwise like you're kind of fitting things into boxes and you need to work the other side of your brain and you need to be creative. And you know, I think as humans we we all crave that so i think that's probably a big draw for engineers mm-hmm. who actually make it to the step of getting there and trying it and then once they try it, it's like oh something's you know switches just <laughs> turned on in my brain that feels like it hasn't been triggered since i was like in art class in grade three or something you know? right. Like, right so i think that's why engineers are drawn to it drawn to it i think for me a lot of it there was so much more at this point in my life. Like my husband and I ran running the restaurant together. You know, we have two kids. I felt like I didn't ever have my own thing. You know, this, this was my thing, something that he wasn't going to do. He will support me and watch me and, you know, I can be out of the house as much to do it, but he wasn't going to do it. So I was like, I need my own thing in life right now. And that was a big deal. Um, he's also doing his master's in cognitive neuroscience. That's his thing, right? So it's like, okay, you do you, I do me. They're completely different. Um, so that, yeah. And I think that it's funny because as I started getting more involved in the magnet, like I'd be out of the house like multiple times a week and the kids would be like, mama, you're going out again. I'm like, yep, this is mama time. And I'm out of here. And the so, it- kids are so sweet. <laughs> oh, thank you. You did a Mother's Day show with your oldest. Yes, yeah, and I can't wait till it we was can do darling. That again. <laughs> I mean, the whole crowd was really, really into that show. Like he, they, he warmed their hearts. He is such a yeah, sweet yeah. kid. Both yeah, of them. The, those comments, like honestly, the comments that came from our uh, Magnet Theater Community Facebook group. I was reading them to him, and I was like, I was almost in tears. People were just so endearing and lovely, and yes, anding my son, and that was just that meant the world to me. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it really is. You mentioned how long we could talk about the community, and the community is so wonderful. I mean, it's no surprise that there are so many people at Magnet who started reaching out to say, oh, wow, and how great <laughs> was that? Right. You know, like it was um, It's obviously just no surprise. And I was also like one of those people saying that in the comments. But still, like... <laughs> I, it was sincere. Everyone really, really, everyone who I've, I've interacted with who has met your family loves them. Uh, they're so immediately endearing. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, this, these, uh, these kids have been, we've been closer than ever the past year at home in COVID, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. In our thousand square foot apartment. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, you know, at the end of the day, even those days where I'm just like, oh, I need a little more space. I, I count myself very blessed. Uh, oh, yeah. They're good kids. They're easy kids. They've, you know, I think the big thing is like my husband and I are on the same page with pretty much everything. And if we aren't, we figure that out, you know? So it really translates to how we're raising the kids. Um, mm -hmm. And for us, it's like, I just want to raise good people. That's yeah. I just want, you just want to be good, kind people. Everything else will fall into place then. Just be good, kind people. Yeah. And you've done so much with the community at Magnet. Uh, I mean, you were, you're someone that people, everyone knows, I feel like, and everyone sees you and, and stuff. And whether that's in the crowd or on the stage, like people are very familiar with who you are because you're always involved at the Magnet. And uh, I think that was part of why we were so surprised when we found out about Smack because it's like, <laughs> how does she have the time to do all of the things that she's doing? <laughs> but um, you, uh, you have... Like last year, a year ago, before, right before COVID hit, you took on the role of being a adversity scholarship. I don't know the exact title offhand, but uh, you were uh, leading. Yeah, I guess the coordinating. Yeah, yeah. Of the uh, yeah. diversity scholarship, which um, many theaters do, uh, but for people who don't know, uh, what a lot of comedy theaters do is they offer a diversity scholarship. Um, sometimes it's per class, sometimes it's a full ride at the magnet, it's a full ride. And, uh, that means you get all of the classes for free if you get picked and, uh, you are coordinating the application process and the, the process choosing who the scholars will be, we'll call them, uh, the people who will receive the scholarship. And can we talk a little bit about why a scholarship like that even exists? So, yeah, I mean, also, I, I have to give out my props to you, Jason, for being part of the team um, the, for the diversity scholarship. The team, yeah, yeah the, our team is amazing. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting because it's, it's, it's such an important question because right now, you know, we live in New York City. We live in probably one of the most diverse cities in the world mm -hmm. and you go to comedy shows you go to any shows but let's focus on you go to comedy shows and we're still seeing the majority even in in the heart of new york city you're still seeing on stage the majority of performers are white males mm -hmm. do i have anything against white males no, no. of course not no. but guess what that is not representative of our population in New York City. Right. So this is this is it. It's like one of those things where you're like, okay, 
what's happening here? And you dig and you dig a little deeper and you're like, all right, opportunities just aren't being presented and available to people of color, to minority groups, to uh, people aren't even sometimes aware of what's out there, even when opportunities are there, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so this is the importance of the diversity scholarship just to get people and voices heard on stage that not only represent where you live, but different voices too, right? It's like, if I go back to Manchester, New Hampshire, yeah, I don't want to see performance of just white males as well. I want to mm-hmm. see a diverse cast because that is the only way we are going to be able to step into other people's shoes mm-hmm. and it make a emotional impact, which then I feel like travels forward with you in life you know you remember right. you remember how you felt like i said i remember how i felt when i was 17 years old doing that 15 minutes of improv i will never forget that feeling right yeah. that's in me so i think that that's this is the same thing you know mm-hmm. is the more people and the more voices we hear and learn from uh just make us better people to carry forward and maybe to help educate or at least influence talk about it with other people i agree and you know, there's so much to it. I, there's so many reasons why it's it's better. For one, as an audience member, when I've seen a show, or even as a performer, when I've been in a show with a diverse cast, there's always something that's said that I wouldn't have thought of. There, there are always several things, if it's a very diverse show, there's several things that I just wouldn't have thought of, and they will surprise me and I'll be delighted in them and I'll, I'll get a huge laugh from it because yeah. it it's something that's I couldn't have seen coming. <laughs> so it ends up right. being, you know, that's such a crucial part of comedy is the surprise at the end. And, and yes. if it's just someone who thinks like me up there, then there are going to be less surprises. Um, but also I want people who are like me on stage, obviously everyone should have representation of themselves on stage because then there is that camaraderie that you experience from that and then also it's just great for everyone to experience different voices and different kinds of people not just from the standpoint of like hey this is a surprise i wasn't expecting but you know you, you can hear something from someone that that is wise that you wouldn't have come to a conclusion of on your own. And that is beneficial to everyone. You know, this isn't, I think one of the problems, and I haven't heard this at Magnet, but one of the problems when people talk about diversity is they think it's some sort of anti-white men or anti-white people sort of thing. And it's not that it's pro everybody. (laughs) We want to see everybody and hear everybody's voices. And it's also good for each individual person, whether that person is black or white or or uh, Indian or Pakistani or whoever they are, yeah. to hear other voices and also experience their own from other people in their community. So it's, it's just good all around for everybody. It isn't anti anyone. It's pro everyone. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it, and this is the thing. It's, it, it's pro everyone, but right now we just don't see enough Exactly. Which then, you know, takes us back to why we have the need for the diversity Mm -hmm. scholarship. Exactly. And 
um, that scholarship, we just did a round of that just so people know, because uh, I'm sure someone is listening is like, well, then I want that scholarship. Uh, well, <laughs> we, because of COVID, uh, it threw things off uh, very much. We were going into this process. I, I did interviews with some applicants the day the training center shut down. Yep. I, was, I was one of the last people to <laughs> step foot in the training center, which is now not our training center because uh, COVID. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I was there for that. And we just finished that process um, almost a year later. So the next round will be in a while. Just be on the lookout. Uh, we'll let yeah. you know. It's, exactly. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not happening in the little, next couple of months. <laughs> we're, we're playing a little bit of catch up from 2020. But the, the positive thing is that we are moving forward, you know, it's yeah. in, in this time of unknown, uncertainty and unknown, unknowing things. So I think that that's this is a positive. Yeah. We are moving forward. <laughs> what sort of advice would you give other theaters? Because I know that there are people from other theaters listening and they care about diversity, but they're a little stumped on how to reach out and approach people to bring them in. Um, what sort of advice would you give if we are talking like doing a scholarship sort of right. thing? You know, uh, kind of in line with the scholarship, but not, it's more so like the diversity initiative and just thinking about it in, in larger terms is one thing that's been brought up at the magnet and is changing now, and I think it's you know has been slowly changing, but now there's more of a push for it. Is uh, just having more uh, diversity in instructors too. So I don't know if you've noticed this, Jason, but there's been a lot of electives that have been kind of popping up from people teaching classes online that come from a diverse from diverse backgrounds, mm -hmm. and you know it's. I think that that's that's a really good way to get people to come in too, because when you see someone. Uh, that maybe, you know, I, I'm Indian. If I see someone who's Indian who's running a, a sketch course or something, I'm like, hey, that's kind of interesting. You know, that it might make me more inclined to even sign up for that, right? So mm -hmm. I think other theaters also can look at that, bringing in some more classes taught by diverse instructors. I think the Magnet's doing a wonderful job of that right now, especially I think the online is lending itself to that too because it's not someone who definitely has had to have gone, you know, they can have like a niche uh, strength and, mm -hmm. and teach on that in an elective mm -hmm. scenario as opposed to, you know, the, the, the basics of improv or musical improv or sketch, you know, there's certain things. Um, and the magnet now is definitely diving deep into mm -hmm. uh, some of these uh, more senior people who've right. taken classes who want to teach. So I think that that's, that's a really a big starting point for mm -hmm. other theaters to, I think it's like, get, get people on board to do those things. And then you'll probably start naturally attracting mm -hmm. some more, more diverse students. Um, also for us, it's the scholarship. So I joined in helping with a scholarship, probably the third year into it, I think it was. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, over time it built, it builds, it builds more of a following, uh, but really just, Social, I mean, social media can be our friend info, but in this case, it's your friend. You know, just getting that, getting that word out there. Like, this is what we're offering. Uh, there's so many, you know, improv and sketch groups on Facebook that just getting like 
you know what? I feel like once things are, the community is large but small, right? It's one of those right. things where you we hear right away what's happening, but there's so many people involved. Uh, just because anyone who's really interested in the community is plugged in to one of these networks online. So just getting th that word out. Uh, I also think that it doesn't, it's not something, it should definitely be planned out, but I know that if you dive in it, it's just, if it's just offering, you know, a class at a time or something, it doesn't have to be this daunting whole process of a scholarship or mm -hmm. uh, it's more of like, at least get your feet wet and start doing it. And mm -hmm. then you'll figure out your process along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's so much to it. I mean, uh, and you're, you're saying all of this, uh, but you know, there we were talking about like, you know, we see a lot of white men, but it's also like young, you know, like a, a lot of young yes. white people. Uh, and we also want to see older people on stage and we also want to see LGBTQ on stage and have all of those voices in there. And a lot of people feel marginalized in different areas. Um, and so it's not just about race. It's about like who's out in the world who is just underrepresented on yes. our stage. Yeah, for sure. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of groups that we we need to see more of. There's mm. no doubt about that. You know, you're talking about age. We're talking about race. We're talking about disability. Right. You know, exactly. right. We, we there's there's yeah there's a lot. Um, and again, it's it's not going to be something where we can fix in one year. You know, right, we get right. so many. We get so many. You know, we've reviewed so many <laughs> wonderful applicants. Mm -hmm. um, all, we want to give scholarships to all of them. It just, you know, right. that's not possible. But It's so hard because you do want to say yes to everyone. You want to say yes to everyone. Like, I woke up this morning going, oh, I wish that we could have just given this many more, right? But I, know, right? But I think we all did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I've it's it's not an easy process, really. I mean, I'm not trying to say, like, woe is me here. Uh, but I just mean when we're going through applications and interviews – it would be so much easier if people were jerks, but they're all lovely. Right, I know. <laughs> you know they, they all have something to give, and it's like, ah. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's also, I, I know that some theaters, too, are saying, like, well, how do we reach out to these different groups? Would, would you say, because this is what I'm thinking, would you say mm -hmm. that even just putting out there that there's this, a scholarship and people can apply will draw a lot of people from different walks think, of life. I think it does. I th we've, we've talked about that too. Like how do we get into communities that maybe aren't even in any kind of improv scene or have friends in improv scene. So that's, we haven't taken that step yet. I would say because we get so many applicants as it is in the improv acting world or friends of friends in the improv acting world. Uh, but I think that as this grows, as we sure hope it does, <laughs> mm. if we, we can start thinking about that, like thinking about, okay, how do we bring improv to communities that haven't been exposed to it, that have it, uh, you know, I don't really know much about it or maybe have like heard of whose line is it anyway or right. something, you know, something. But I, I think that that is definitely part of like the ethos of Magnet, which makes me love it so much is that, you know, Armando, who's, you know, one of the original founders of the theater, he, his ethos is that everyone can do improv. Right. And mm -hmm. I just, as soon as I learned that, I'm like, this is it. Like, this is the place that I'm supposed to be because 
this is the belief and we know that it we know it to be true like mm-hmm. I, I think we you and i can both agree we you know you've seen people who have not are have been fearful of public speaking or just right. have like the most timid and quiet voice and they get on stage and they do it they do yeah. they come to a mixer they do a scene and you're just like yes everyone can do improv we we improvise every day daily in our lives right we do yeah and we all played as kids so we know how to make believe yes yeah and uh, it's so nice to see those people uh, have those moments when they go from being a little shy or timid to just opening up. It's it's always like such a nice, beautiful thing to see because you see confidence growing in them and you see them, how the fun of getting a laugh and joking around with somebody, opening them up is such a great thing. It really you see it a is. lot in level one. You do. And I feel like, like when you compare like the first couple of weeks of level one to the show, when you get down to your show in level one, you're like, wow, this is, this is, there was growth here. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. Um, well, this has been a great chat. We've uh, now reached the end. It's time to create something together. Uh, I always like to create something yeah. with the guest and it's always, it's usually based on uh, what we've been talking about. Um, and uh, that could be anything. And an idea I have, unless you want to do something more improv-based, uh, I had the idea of what if we were going to create a, a new restaurant, what it would be. Like, what could we, what could oh, we make if we were going to make a yeah. restaurant? You, <laughs> and maybe you already have something where you're like, oh, I wish I, I could do this uh, as well as smack. But um, how would, uh, obviously with your process with creating Smack, you were saying like a lot of people are talking about mac and cheese, but there isn't a place devoted to mac and cheese. Uh, so if I were to apply that sort of approach, I would say hot dogs. Because yeah, there are a lot of hot dog vendors on the side of the street, right. but you know, not always the best hot dog. Right, <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> I come from the South where, like, people really do do, like, the chili a certain way. Like, there's a certain way to go about hot dogs. Um, so that'd be one idea I had. But what are you thinking? You know, for the longest time, my husband and I always, we loved the fact of doing, like, authentic Indian street food. Ooh. Uh, because whenever we go to, like, there's a lot of restaurants that will have, like, an appetizer or whatnot. But there's it's, it's not like... Um, so it, in it, there's places in India, like on the roadside called Dabas, mm-hmm. and but they're, they're actually like full, usually full meals, but it's quick. It's like when you're in transit, you go and like there's like a couple tables set up and the food is delicious. It's fresh. It's delicious. They're highly trafficked. So it's like, you know, you're getting everything fresh. But mm-hmm. we're more thinking of like a street side, uh, a, a snack Daba type thing, because there's not a whole lot of places that do an assortment of Indian street food. It's okay. like you'll maybe yeah. get like you'll go. So there's Kachi roll places. They spe- you know they specialize in, in those. That there's like you'll go to other Indian restaurants and they'll have some appetizers. But I'm like, if you had just like this plethora of all this like all this snacky Indian food, um, oh my gosh, like I'm getting hungry thinking about it. But that that's that's <laughs> one idea. That's definitely one idea that's been in the back of our minds for a while. I mean, my mom makes the best chicken curry and rice. We're always like, you know what? If you just had a place that sell, sold like 
you know, different like chicken curry and rice and maybe one other thing, I, I bet you like you would have a following because if you just did it well, right? Right. Um, well, I like that better than hot dogs uh, because there are at least a couple of hot dog places. But you, but what you're speaking to, uh, there is more of a, uh, a dearth of that <laughs> in the <laughs> market here in New York. Um, so when you go about trying to put that together, like let's just look at it from a, maybe a marketing standpoint, like naming the place. How do sure. you come up with now? Obviously, yours, Sarita's Mac and Cheese. You said Smack. Was that the first idea or did yeah. you throw out a bunch of things? No. So I like I've always been like an acronym gal. So I've I've acronymized a lot of things in my life. And so when we were first started talking about a mac and cheese place, and I'm like, hey Caesar, we can call it Smack. Short for Sarita's Mac and Orange Cheese. Like, really? Because at the time, uh I shouldn't say at the time, but it's more it's closer to the time of the East Village being the drug haven oh, of snap. New York City. Yeah. So Tompkins Square Park, yeah. like, you know, we're talking like late 80s, that like, you know, that was this is the place. So we're just like, we're not that far from like people still remembering that. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, you know, but it, it's it's an acronym for my name and mac and cheese. And over over time, kids would be like, smack must mean it's just so delicious. Smack my lips. And I'm like, that's what it means. <laughs> Whatever. But then you'd get like the old time village going, oh yeah, get some smack. It's, the names worked out really well for us. Uh, but that's kind of like, I would definitely go lean towards something catchy. Like some, it had, okay. it'd have to be like something like something like to that had some Indian snack or something, um, a word like a, a kind of a, just, I'm trying to think of like a, yeah, it'd have to have like, some, or maybe like some kind of Hindi word or some kind of like just fun sound, a word mm-hmm. sound. Um, yeah. And what Should did you say that the. Of our new restaurants? Are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, let's try. Let's figure this out. What yeah. is, What did you say the name of it? it is it like how do? You oh, I got it? the name. I got the name. Oh, whoa. I got it. We could call it Papad. P a p p a d. That is an Indian. It's like a chip. It's an Indian chip, and you could have an exclamation point at the end of it. Papad. Now the thing is, people would call it Papad, so we'd uh-huh. have to somehow figure out how to spell it. But it'd be it's perfect because we could have a logo with that ch- crunch of the chip. I, I don't know. I think it's Ooh. good. <laughs> what did you say the name of the street uh, vending is? Is it? Uh, oh, the da- Daba. Daba. So D H A B A, and there's a restaurant in okay. Murray Hill already called Daba. Okay. It's actually quite delicious, but it's a full-on restaurant. You know, it's like uh-huh. they've got like the the whole meal deal there. Um, That's a fun name, Daba. It is. It but is so a fun is. Name. Uh, what's the correct pronunciation of, It'd be of pop- this new? Pop- 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There'd be. There's definitely. I could. I, we could figure out. There's something there, though. There's definitely something that could be worked in there. <laughs> well, nice. Well, there it is. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Sarita. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. It's a pleasure. Always. I love seeing your face. Can't wait till we can, like, embrace in person. (laughs) I can't either. Isn't she great? She's like, 
You know how mac and cheese is comfort food, it, it brightens your day? Well, that's what Sarita is. Sarita herself is a comfort to the world, and I am so thankful to know her. If you want to check out more about Smack, you can go to eatsmack.com. You can also follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Eat Smack. And I know that they have frozen mac and cheese. I don't know if they mail it nationwide, so go to eatsmack.com so you can find out if you can. And also, when all of this is behind us, go to Smack when you come to New York. Please visit and please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. Yeah.